MSW Media. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. In the Pacific Northwest, at Cape Flattery, the westernmost point of the contiguous United States, there's a promontory high above the ocean with a stunning sunset view. I'm standing there beside Rachel as we gaze at the red sun sinking into the water. I drop to one knee and take her hand. She turns to me, surprised, but not too surprised, clearly moved. I look up, our eyes meet. Rachel, I begin. Stop. Rewind. That's not what happened. That's what should have happened. After Rachel and I reunited following the deployment and our two years together, it was just where the relationship was heading. My plan was to pop the question on that promontory, one of our favorite destinations. After we resumed sharing an apartment near Fort Lewis, Rachel became aware that while visiting my parents in New York, I'd stopped off at Manhattan's famous Diamond District. I'm not sure how she knew, but she knew. I'd bought a ring, but I still intended to propose at the perfect moment at the westernmost point of the continental United States. I was just waiting for the right excuse to take her up there and didn't want to give anything away. But following up on her suspicions, she asked me a few times what I'd done while in New York. Finally, I just put the fancy box containing the diamond ring in the fridge and waited for her to find it. She did, and that's the real story of how my marriage proposal was made and accepted. Once engaged, though, we did make the trip out to our romantic spot to mark the moment. So, welcome to the MSW Book Club. This series, uh, we're reading Here, Right Matters by Colonel Alexander Vindman. And those were the opening paragraphs of Chapter 6 called Nothing Starts With Us. We'll be covering this chapter and Chapter 7. It's called I Can't Believe You Did That. Alex goes on in this chapter to talk about Rachel, why she's perfect for him. Quote, she is beautiful, tough, independent, smart, and very sexy. Rachel is not to be trifled with. And we've seen that, right, on Twitter with her activism. And I know this about her, though we've only met a couple times. Alex credits her with sustaining him early on in his career and through the impeachment hearings and says he couldn't have done any of it without her. They began their marriage in Germany in 2006, where Alex was leading troops in trainings again. They got a German shepherd puppy named Scout, uh, but they really wanted a kid. But there were a lot of obstacles, and Alex opens up and gets really personal here, telling us Rachel had two miscarriages early on, one on Mother's Day, and the second a few months later when they were in Moscow attending his older brother Len's wedding. She didn't even know she was pregnant. Next, they tried IVF in vitro fertilization, and after a couple of rounds, Rachel got pregnant again. By then, they were in D.C., where Alex was starting language training. Rachel studied Russian while Alex was learning Ukrainian. They found out they'd be having a baby girl after an ultrasound. It was 2008, 
But at 24 weeks, Rachel began having pain, and the Naval Hospital in Bethesda determined she was in fact in labor, and it couldn't be stopped. A few hours later, Sarah Abigail Vindeman was born. They weren't allowed to touch her because she was born so prematurely, and they moved into the Fisher House, which allowed them to be close to the hospital, where they spent all day every day. Sarah was stable, which surprised the doctors. But then, on a Saturday night, her vitals began fluctuating. She had an infection, and she was not responding to treatment. Quote, she was so tiny, and her little body was fighting so hard, but she was just too sick. Rachel and I held each other and cried, but there was no need for a lengthy discussion. Together, we made the decision to withdraw Sarah from life support. As dawn broke on the frigid morning of January 18, 2009, we held our baby girl for the first time and said goodbye. Those moments holding Sarah and losing her caused me the deepest and most enveloping pain I've ever experienced. Now, when I interviewed Alex for the Daily Beans about the book last month, I asked him about this moment, but he was unable to talk about it. It's just absolutely unthinkable. But Alex says losing her gave him a new perspective on life, that the process of living should be what really matters. And when bad things happen, what matters is how you live through them. And he says that the best way to honor Sarah is for him to live his life honorably and to the fullest. And in 2011, Rachel gave birth to Eleanor Abigail Vinman, and they've been parents for 10 years now. And he reflects on his dad here, telling us, you don't pass on your values to your kids by lecturing them. You pass on your values by living up to them, as his own father did. He was remembering his father. Alex says he has to live up to his own values to be able to look his daughter in the eye, and that he wants her to be proud of him the way he was proud of his father. In 2012, their family moved to Russia for what he refers to as the posting of his lifetime that would prove to bring him closer to the climactic role he would play on the National Security Council in 2018 and 2019. He was offered a job heading another deployment in Iraq, but he had a new goal. He turned that down. He wanted to be a foreign area officer, FAO, where he could integrate all the strategic, political, cultural, sociological, economic, and geographic considerations for U.S. policy in a particular region. He faced new challenges. He said he was immersed in the languages of his ancestors and in the nuances of the complex relations and history between the U.S., Ukraine, Russia, and Eastern Europe. And in 2009-2010, he was sent on an immersion trip to Ukraine to post up at the U.S. Embassy in Kiev, and he went to just about every corner of the former USSR with his battle buddy and travel partner, Bob McVeigh, an Army FAO. It was challenging being apart from Rachel, he said. But he developed an understanding of the region he would serve over the upcoming decade, turning him into one of the most knowledgeable Russia experts, which would lead him to his presence during that Zelensky call. The main lesson from his travels was that behind all the current tensions in the region are long histories and deep traditions and complex psychologies. And he says that you can't understand what's happening currently without engaging with the past. That reminded me so much of The Reckoning, Mary Trump's book. In 2012, Alex went to Russia to serve as an assistant army attache to the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. He had mastered a new vocabulary. He'd earned an M.A. from Harvard in Russian, Eastern European, and Central Asian studies. He'd been named a distinguished honor graduate. Um, and at the DIA's joint military attache school, he learned how to do his job despite the watchful eye of Russian security services. Rachel had dreaded the Moscow posting, but they settled in more comfortably than they had feared they would. He was reporting to Brigadier General Peter Zwok. He's the top attache, and he made Alex his right-hand man. This was his first direct contact with an authoritarian society, and there was zero expectation of privacy. Their apartment was bugged, 
And neither he nor Rachel liked that very much. And despite the constant surveillance, Alex gained a very deep understanding of the Russian national security apparatus. And he grew adept at identifying his minders, people who were following him and listening to him. And of course, speaking Russian fluently gave him an advantage there. And family history gave him a link to senior Russian military people. He was complementing his formal study with real-world practical experience. Quote, Russians use fear and intimidation to make the U.S. second-guess and doubt itself, and thus miscalculate risks. I believe our policy for Russia should be to hold it accountable for its persistent aggression and threats. Yet I also believe in the necessity for dialogue, both to mitigate the disastrous effect of potential accidents or miscalculations, and to clearly define the U.S. interests we will defend at all costs. Dialogue keeps the door open for a potentially more collaborative future. Unquote. And then in 2014, Russia, as we know, invaded Ukraine. The events became a military and diplomatic education for everyone involved. Alex became one of the more knowledgeable people in the army on what the Russians were doing militarily. And that expertise would send him back to the U.S. as a Russia and Ukraine expert for the Joint Chiefs and then on to the National Security Council. But for that time, he was on the scene tracking Russian doctrines for fighting during the Russian separatist uprising and in the invasion of Crimea. He saw Russian hybrid warfare firsthand, right up close, and reported his observations, some including in the president's daily briefs. He was learning how Russian hybrid warfare works and what Putin was actually doing regarding Russia and Ukraine. He said, I saw things for myself. I knew how to read what I was seeing. I would have reasons to remember that lesson in 2019 and again in 2020. And that wraps up chapter six, relatively short chapter. We will be right back with chapter seven. I can't believe you did that. It's a great story. It starts on page 109 in the hardback edition. And we'll do that right after this quick break. If you want ad-free episodes of this show and Muller She Wrote and the Daily Beans, just head to patreon.com slash Muller She Wrote. It's three bucks a month. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of the show is brought to you by Wealthfront. Investing apps make it easy for investors to start trading, but just because it's easy doesn't mean you should be doing it. But that's what makes Wealthfront different. Not only do they make it easy for you to trade, but they make it easy for you to learn more about it. Become a smarter investor with Wealthfront. You can start with Wealthfront's classic portfolio or customize it to suit your needs with socially responsible funds, crypto trusts, and hundreds of other investments. It's very easy to get started, and you'll have a long-term portfolio in minutes. The goal of Wealthfront is to help you turn good ideas into great investments without having to deal with the hassle of going uh, and doing everything yourself. You're protected from unnecessary risk because you're diversified across asset classes. And in just minutes, you can get started with Wealthfront's classic portfolio or make things custom with investments you care about. Wealthfront offers a socially responsible portfolio, which is a mix of funds built around human rights, climate change, and sustainability. And no matter what you're into, Wealthfront will help you build wealth responsibly and protect you from making mistakes. Not sure how to rebalance your portfolio? They do it automatically. Wealthfront is trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. So to start building your wealth and to get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to Wealthfront.com slash book club. That's Wealthfront, W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash book club to start building your wealth. That's Wealthfront.com slash book club to get started today. And today's show is also brought to you by QB. Considering how many hours we spend at our desks or sitting in front of the TV, what if you could turn those inactive times into opportunities to burn calories and stay fit and active? flexible. And that's exactly what you can do with Cubi. That's C-U-B-I-I. It's compact. It's an elliptical unit that fits under your desk or in front of your couch so that you can pedal while you're sitting there watching TV or working at your computer. Uh, it's, it's truly amazing. It's whisper quiet. It's easy on your joints. And a recent clinical study confirms it burns 84% more energy than just sitting there. 
We all say I'd work out more if I had more time. Well, QB makes it easy to burn calories and stay active anytime and anywhere. Um, you can set it up in minutes, and it's a perfect for solution. It's a perfect solution for anyone who might be housebound or otherwise needs something to help improve circulation and keep active. So if you have a parent or loved one who has limited mobility and needs some circulation, um, this is a great way to stay healthy. QB would be a perfect gift for this holiday season. My mom is going to love hers. I love mine, and I know you will too. Take advantage of QB's 30-day risk-free home trial. Uh, turn your least active times into your most productive opportunities to stay healthy with QB. Visit QB.com slash beans to find the QB elliptical model that's right for you. That's QB, C-U-B-I-I dot com slash beans. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. On to Chapter 7, another quick chapter. It opens on Election Day 2016, probably the worst day ever. Uh, Alex was assigned to the Joint Chiefs. He was working out of the Pentagon. By the way, if you've never been to the Pentagon, go. They give tours. It's massive. It's the biggest building in the world. It has almost 18 miles of corridors in like rings. It's intense. Uh, They've got 23,000 employees, 3,000 support personnel. And for Alex, it seemed like a dream job. But Alex says he was not right where he wanted to be. He felt like he had found the sweet spot when he was in Russia. And uh, he was working for the Joint Chiefs. That really wasn't on his wish list, though. He was still only a major in the army, but his specific specialty was in high demand. So there he was. Uh, Despite my early misgivings, he says, it turned out that you never necessarily find your sweet spot, as I thought I had overseas. There's always more to learn and unpredictable ways to develop what you learn. You can't perfectly identify the context in which you'll best thrive. Indeed, you may find yourself in new ways if you go where you're needed. Don't just start over. Keep starting over. Man, that, that really hits home for me. I didn't think I'd be where I am. I was going to retire at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, but here we are. Uh, Alex began devising and orchestrating the, high, the highest level U.S. military strategies and applying them practically in a far more expansive range when he was at the Pentagon with the Joint Chiefs. And he was being encouraged to take leadership roles by his superiors, as he always was. He learned about leadership a lot there, too, and strong command. And he also learned what poor leadership looked like and how to recognize it. Quote, all too soon, those lessons would unexpectedly come in handy. The Pentagon was a totally new experience, no longer training soldiers or in combat, no longer in a volatile conflict zone like the border of Russia and Ukraine. He'd done his fair share of desk work, but the Pentagon was different. Uh, His task on the joint staff team was to shape military strategy and operations for carrying out the Russia policy of the United States, which, as we know, was in flux at the time. When he joined the Joint Chiefs about a year and a half before Trump took office, the U.S. was still figuring out its response to Putin's posturing in Eastern Europe, which had exploded in 2014 with the annexation of Crimea. A major part of Alex's job was to understand Russian motivations, goals, and psychology and put that understanding into operation. The long-range U.S. goal remains a normalized relationship with Russia. But Russia's goal has been to use its hybrid approach of traditional warfare I mentioned earlier, and that, that hybrid approach is traditional warfare, cyber warfare, and propaganda, and they use it to undermine the West. In September 2015, as Alex joined the Joint Chiefs, Russia intervened in Syria, altering the course of the war there. The U.S. involvement in Syria was limited and pretty much solely focused on fighting ISIS while supporting the Syrians against Bashar al-Assad. Russia supported the Assad regime with a long-range goal of asserting influence in the Middle East and obstructing the goals of the United States. Now, when Trump was elected, the Joint Chiefs were in full pursuit of developing Russia policy, and the incoming administration was expressing no obvious change in that policy. 
but Alex was tasked with authoring a full-scale, cross-departmental plan covering all the long- and short-term military policies on Russia. With the encouragement of his superiors, Alex began that process. He would gather a bunch of research, digest it all, write chunks, send those out to review, get them back, revise them based on expert input, and then he would work all those chunks together in one cogent document, one giant, giant document. And as he worked, his ideas were actually percolating up toward top decision makers on Russia policy, all the way up to General Mattis. And soon he was asked to brief members of the National Security Council, which brought him to the attention of Fiona Hill. And he would soon find himself tapped to work directly for her on the National Security Council. But something else happened while he was at the Pentagon that uh, would prove decisive to his family life and his career. Eugene showed up in D.C. in 2016 to join the office of the Judge Advocate General. He was a lawyer. So the brothers were both working at the Pentagon. And then Huge bought a house just four doors down from Alex and Rachel. And soon they were commuting to work, hanging out all the time. Mainly it was awesome to have him there. But his presence would soon prove to be an incredibly lucky development for Alex. Alex's confidence in his role and the value of sometimes going outside the chain of command was tested in June of 2018 in Helsinki at a face-to-face meeting they'd arranged between Chairman Dunford and Chief Garazimov. The purpose was to allow for the, of the meeting was to allow for a discussion face-to-face of the shared deconfliction process in Syria and a broad strategic dialogue on respective national security interests. And at one point, Chairman Dunford ordered the backbench staff out including Vinman, He was on that bench because he wanted to allow the higher-ups to talk in private. So Alex had a choice. He could follow orders and leave, or he could just presume he should be included because he had led the in-depth prep session, and he's an expert. And as the backbench slowly got up to leave, quote, against what I feared might be my better judgment, I forced my butt to stay in that seat. Dunford looked over at him and there was a long pause, right? That had to be just like, uh. and then he introduced Alex directly to Chief Gerasimov, telling him, hey, this guy was born in Ukraine. And Gerasimov cracked a joke in Russian. He said, I must be the, re- uh, that Alex must be the reason uh, the relations between U.S. And, the Russia were, and Russia were so bad. <laughs> and then everyone laughed to Alex's relief. And he was actually asked to contribute to the conversation, the conversation. So his, his risk paid off staying there. But that was like an important thing, right? Like sometimes you got to make the decisions to keep your butt in the seat. Later, Scott Renicky, a Russia team member on the Joint Chiefs said, I can't believe you did that. And there's the chapter title. Alex said he could hardly believe it himself. It was mid-2018 as he ends the chapter with, uh, I was leaving for NSC. There I would come into direct confrontation with the ill effects of a lack of regard for expertise, professionalism, experience, and above all, honesty by key figures in the Trump administration. That confrontation would have dramatic results. And that's the end of Chapter 7. I will be back next week with Chapter 8. It's called Danger. It begins on page 127. It's all about what happened when Alex got to the NSC. Starts off with, he was warned. If you don't have the book yet, get it now. There's a whole section of photos in the next chunk that I really want you to see. Uh, Until then, thanks for tuning in. Please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill, and this is the MSW Book Club. The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. 
The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.